Today's message is on prayer. Uh, now, some of us as Christians, we might see ourselves as very practical people. We see ourselves as the sorts of people who like to serve God with our hands. Now, is there anyone here like that? Someone who likes to... I'm a very practical Christian. I just serve God with my hands. No? No one? Very. Oh, a little bit. Okay. Well... Usually, if, if you're somebody who's very practical, uh, when you hear that we're going to be having a message on prayer, um, some folks start to feel, well, well, that's for those other people. That's for those very spiritual people. Whereas me, I'm a very practical person. I like to work with my hands. Okay. Now, if you are, if you do happen to be one of those very practical people who like to work with your hands, um, you can do that. You can do this. Okay. Martin Luther once said, I have so much to do that I must spend the first three hours of each day in prayer. Uh, when, it, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, there is nothing more practical than prayer. And it's something that we can all do. We can do it at all times. We can do it in all places. Uh, it's something we can do privately or it's something we can do together with other Christians. Uh, or we can even do it with non-Christians. When, when we actually ask them, can I pray with you? And you might be surprised at how many non-Christians are more than willing, they're actually ready for you to sit down and pray with them. Prayer is the most practical thing that any of us can do. And if Christianity is about having a relationship with the one true living God, prayer, well, it's not an optional extra. Prayer is something that should be part of our daily lives. Imagine if out of the 12 disciples, if there's one or two of them who never talked to Jesus. They never talked to him, they never listened to him. And what kind of relationship would they have with Jesus? They wouldn't be true disciples at all, would they? And it's the same with us. And so prayer should be key in our walk with God. Some people like to pray first thing in the morning. Some people like to pray last thing before they go to bed. Some people pray when things get really tough and when their life just seems to be going down the toilet. Some pray when they're desperate. Some pray when they're full of joy. The thing is, it's always the right time to pray. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, rejoice always. He says, pray without ceasing. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And James, well, in today's reading, he says pretty much the same thing. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. See, James is telling us to pray in whatever situation we find ourselves. The Greek word that he uses here for suffering, kakopathiai, it means all sorts of suffering. It certainly means being persecuted for one's faith, but it means all kinds of suffering. Last week we heard how the prophets suffered when they spoke the word of God, and it's the same word. And Paul uses this same word again when he wrote to Timothy and told him to be willing to undergo Suffering. Be willing to suffer. And so the thing is, if we are suffering, we should pray. Now, when we pray, when we're suffering, our natural tendency might be to pray, well, God, save me from this suffering. Don't let me suffer. Take this suffering away. 
But here's a hard lesson for us. Sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. It's God's will for us to endure through the suffering. And a prayer of faith is a prayer for strength to get through suffering. So is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, you know, when I first read that, I thought, yep, they're the two opposites. Um, If you're suffering, if your world is crashing down around you, pray about it. But if everything's gone good and you're feeling cheerful, well, that's a good reason to give praise. And so the natural way to take this is you're either one or the other. You're either suffering or you're joyful. You're either sad because your your whole life is is filled with this suffering or you're, woohoo, this is marvellous and all you want to do is celebrate. But you know what? Jesus turns all that on its head. In Jesus Christ, even in the midst of suffering, there's joy. Not that we dismiss all suffering as, oh, that, that doesn't matter. But even as we do suffer, there is joy. Like when Paul and Silas were thrown into jail and they'd been locked up for preaching the gospel and there in that cold, dark dungeon, totally unaware of what their fate was going to be, they were busy praying and singing praises to God. You see, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God loves us, who cares who hates us? And this is the good news of the gospel. It's something to be joyful about. God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us. God loves you that much. How does that make you feel? Hey, it always feels good to be loved. How does it feel to be loved that much by the Lord our God? He came to save us from our sins. Now, we didn't deserve that. We have sinned against God and so we deserve death. We deserve to go to hell. But God doesn't give us what we deserve. God gives us something that's so much, much more wonderful than that. God gives us mercy. God gives us grace. He gave himself to save us. His life was a ransom that saved our lives. Now there's another reason for joy. Next week is Easter and we're going to be celebrating that though Jesus died, he lives. And because Jesus lives, we live. And even though we die, we will be raised to life. Now is anybody getting joy out of that? Yeah. And even in the most desperate times of pain and distress, In Christ, there is this background of joy that overshadows the pain and the grief and the sorrow. In Christ, we have a reason for joy. And so James says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Of course, we all have a reason for joy in our lives, even if we are suffering. So we pray when we suffer, we pray when we're cheerful, and we also pray for the sick. 
I want to broaden this one out a little bit. The Greek word asthenii that our Bibles translate as sick, um, well, that's correct. It does mean sick. But the actual word means weakness. It can mean weakness, sickness, disease, timidity. So it includes sickness. But you may be feeling weak. You may be lacking confidence. You may be depressed. You may be filled with anxiety. It's primarily about sickness, but it can mean any of these forms of weakness. And if you are sick or weak or anxious or timid, a humble act of faith is to call the elders of the church to come and pray for you and they will anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus. Now, that might sound all very religious. Um, Has anyone ever seen that happen where people come and anoint them with oil? A few of you? Yeah? It may sound a little bit all religious and mysterious, but it's just simply putting some oil on a person's head and anointing them in the name of Jesus. I usually use olive oil. Uh, In the Old Testament, it was an act of consecration, an act of setting a person or a thing aside as holy for God. And that's why it's important that the person is the one who calls the elders to come and do this for them because I can't decide that you're to be set aside for God. It's you who humbles yourself and say, Lord, I want to give myself to you. I want to consecrate myself to you as being holy. And this is something that we as a church do. Uh, Not if somebody has a cold, um, but if someone is seriously ill, I need to know about it. You know, there's been times when when we've had people in in, in the past that have been desperately ill in hospital um, and nobody's told me about it and we haven't been able to go and pray for them and haven't even known about it until they've been flown out to Brisbane or until they've been in hospital for a while and gotten better and gone home. Um. So please, if, if you or your family are sick, please call the leaders of the church and they'll come and lay hands on them and pray for them and anoint them with oil in the name of Jesus. And verse 15 tells us that when we do this, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, this raises some some issues for us. Um, It says the prayer of faith will raise the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Of course, the most obvious issue is why is it that sometimes people are healed and sometimes they're not? And there's several different positions that people take on this. I'll first give you a couple of two extremes. The cessationists would say "Ah, that's because nobody's healed anymore. Um, nobody's miraculously healed. They say that miracles, including miraculous healing, ceased after the apostles all died. They might say that they can still happen, but we shouldn't expect them to happen. Now, I'm afraid I can't go along with that because that's really not what the Bible says. And I've seen enough miracles in my time to know that God is still performing miracles. God is still God. And God continues to do what God has always done, and that is to act supernaturally in this natural world. Now, there may not be as many miracles 
as what some will falsely claim. But God continues to heal today. So that's one view, that God just doesn't heal anybody today. Um, Another view, which would be the exact opposite of that, uh, comes out of the Word of Faith movement. Uh, A Word of Faith preacher might say, well, God didn't heal you because you didn't have enough faith, or those around you didn't have enough faith. Um, And it's their fault because they didn't believe enough, or you didn't believe hard enough. Because they believe that if you ask for it and you believe with all of your heart, God will do it. But the problem I have with this view is it puts us in the position of being God's master. And God is not our master. Sorry, sorry. we are not God's master. Um, That's not the way our relationship with God is supposed to be. The Lord is our master. He's not our servant. So if God continues to heal today, but not everybody is healed, what are the barriers to healing? Well, one barrier is that we don't ask for it. Uh, Back in chapter 4, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. And sometimes God is ready and willing to heal and all we have to do is humble ourselves and fall at the foot of his throne. Say, Lord, I can't fix this. I'm nothing without you. Please, will you heal A second barrier to healing is unrepented sin. In verse 16, James says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So unrepented sin is sometimes a barrier to healing. Uh, If you want to see an example of it, you can go back and read uh, the letter to the Corinthians where people were getting sick and dying because they were sinning in the way they took communion. A third barrier to healing, well, it is a lack of faith. Um, But it's a bit different to the other sort of lack of faith that that I used as an example before. It's a lack of faith or, or, or more a misunderstanding of faith. Now, to get this, I'm going to have to explain this. I'm going to have to explain... What is faith and what is a prayer of faith? Because James says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Well, the word of faith preachers I mentioned before work on the premise that faith is believing that a particular event is going to happen. So they believe that if I pray for healing, I believe it, and if I believe hard enough and do not doubt at all, it will happen. It's sort of almost like a Christianised form of mind over matter. And it's a very common teaching coming out of the United States and and it's very often held by Pentecostal brothers and sisters. But as far as I can see, that that is not a biblical understanding of faith. Let me make two statements about faith. Biblical faith is faith in a person. It's faith in... In the person of God. Not faith in a thing or not faith that something is going to happen. It's faith in God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's grounded in 
in who the person is. It's trusting implicitly and completely in God. And so no matter what happens in my life, no matter, no matter what happens with my prayer, whether I am healed or whether I am not healed, I will continue to completely trust in God. That's faith. And the second statement I want to make is tied to it. Faith is believing that what God has said is true. Right? So if God has made a promise to, to me or you, then we can believe with 100% certainty that he will keep that promise. What we cannot do, however, is go skimming through the Bible looking for a promise that he's made to somebody else and go, there's a promise that God made, therefore God made that promise for me and, and claim that as a promise for ourselves. And so faith is in God, not in a healing. Let me give you an example. When the people of Israel uh, had been led out of Egypt... And through the wilderness, they came to the verge of the promised land. And God told the people of Israel to go into this promised land and not to be afraid because he would give them victory over their enemies. But they'd sent spies in and they'd had a bit of a look at the land and they gave a report. They came back and said, yeah, it all looks really good, but these guys are really big. They're enormous. They're, like they're giants. Like, and they're cities. They've got walls around them. We, we can't beat them. We, we don't have siege engines. We can't knock down the walls around their cities. And, and they, they're, they're in, you haven't seen these fellas. They're enormous. And they didn't have faith. And they wouldn't go in. They had crossed the Red Sea. Moses, God, God had made water come out of a rock when he spoke to it. They'd been given manna. And quail to eat each day. God had been providing for them each step of the way. But they got there and they went, no, they're too big. And they wouldn't go in. And God said, well, you're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Right? You've heard of them wandering for 40 years in the wilderness? That's because they didn't have faith and go in. And so they started, they turned back around and headed back into the, into the desert. But when they realised what they'd done and what was going to happen, they decided for themselves, well, we'd better, we'd better go in then. But the time had passed. The promise was made. The promise was finished. But they said, no, 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 God told us we can do it. And Moses said, but God won't be with you. He said, no, no, it's okay. And they went in anyway. And they were defeated. So the first time round, God made a promise, but they didn't have faith. They didn't believe that what God had said was true and so they disobeyed. But the second time around they decided for themselves what they wanted to do and they acted on an old promise of God which was no longer valid but they were believing that it was going to happen and it didn't. Faith is faith in God and faith is believing that what God has said is true. What then is a prayer of faith? Well, a prayer of faith begins with faith in the person of God. Our faith is in God. 
Who is God? What is he like? God is sovereign. God is king. God is God. And I am not. And sometimes the things that I want will be in conflict with God's purposes. Now in those times, who do you think knows best? Me or God? Most of you know me pretty well to not even hesitate and go, well, of course God knows best. And yes, even when it comes to healing. If I am sick, even if I am dying, yeah, I want to be healed. Of course I want to be healed. But the Lord may have another purpose. And a prayer of faith is a prayer that knows that God knows best. It's a prayer that will ask God for healing, but it's also a prayer that says, and Lord, even if you don't heal me, I know it's because you know what's best. And I'm not going to stop believing in you. I'm not going to stop trusting in you because my faith is in you, Lord, not in a healing. Now that is a prayer of faith. An immature faith would say, if God heals me, I will believe in him. Whereas a mature faith, an established faith says, Lord, I believe in you. Whether you heal me or whether you don't heal me, I am going to continue to believe in you and trust you and love you and follow you. You know, when I think back and try and remember some examples of of people who are angry at God. Uh, And by the way, there's plenty of those examples. I come across a lot of people who are angry at God. In every case that I can remember, their anger is because God has not done their will. Do you know what? God isn't in the business of doing our will. Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done. And a prayer of faith will pray, Lord, your will be done and help me to stand strong in faith right in the centre of your will, no matter how tough it is. I rang John Bear and asked if I could share this today. And by the way, we're going out to Westmar um, this Arvo. When Teresa Bear got lung cancer, we went to her And we anointed her with oil and we prayed for her healing. And John said, and Teresa agreed, we believe that God is going to heal Teresa. And if it's not an earthly physical healing, it's a spiritual healing at the resurrection. And these guys, they're they're brand new Christians. And it just brought tears to my eyes because... I rarely hear such strong, mature faith. And it was a real witness to me. A fourth barrier to healing is when we don't know the healer. Verse 16 talks about confessing our sins and getting right with God. And it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You might be surprised at how many people who haven't committed their lives to God 
continue to expect that he's going to come and answer all their prayers. It's sort of like not joining RACQ and then expecting them to come and give you a jump start whenever your battery goes flat for free. We've got to decide, am I committed to God or do I just want him to do this one thing for me and then I'll look after myself again? The prayer of a righteous person has much power and the righteous are those who God makes righteous. It's got nothing to do with um, is it because I've lived a good life and been a fantastic person. The righteous are those who fall on their knees before a holy God because they know that they're not righteous and they ask God for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is God who makes us righteous as we repent of our old ways, receive forgiveness in the name of Jesus and follow him as his disciple. So praying in faith is a praying heart yielded to God's will, not our own.